John chapter 21, verse 25. Uh, it's the last verse of the last gospel. And the Bible is just an amazing book in the sense that it ties things together so well. I mean, you're leaving the transition. You're, you, right now we're transitioning from the ministry and the life of Christ. And now we're in the book of Acts, we see the early church and, 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 and the day at Pentecost is about to happen and God is about to begin moving in the church like, and it's going to, uh, as some worldly men put it, these are they that have turned the world upside down for Christ. And that's, that's what's about to happen. The world is about to be turned upside down. And the Bible is just unique in the way that it bridges things together. And I love the Word of God for many reasons, but one of the reasons is verses like we find in John chapter 21, verse 25, where the Bible says, And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. Amen. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for this morning. I pray that you would bless now, Lord. We need you. Lord, I pray that you would uh, just, just totally fill me and direct me this morning so that it would be your words being spoken through me and not my words being spoken about you. Dear Lord, I pray that you would help us, give us discipline to hear the Word of God and to react as your Holy Spirit would move. I ask in Jesus' precious name, amen. amen. Now, you're not ignorant to this, but let me just say a few things as introductory remarks. We find about the life and the ministry of Christ in the four books that we commonly call the Gospels, the Gospel of Jesus. These books are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what they call the synoptic gospels. Now, if that's getting a little bit above your knowledge, that's okay. Let me try to explain that to you. What synoptic means is written from a similar viewpoint. They're synonymous, if you will. They have a common viewpoint. And so Matthew, Mark, and Luke all share similar traits. They contain very similar stories. But John is not one of the synoptic gospels. It stands alone. It stands unique. Now, not in the sense that it covers different stuff or not in the sense that it says different things about the same stuff. But it's all in agreement. But John's book is unique. It's written from the disciple who Jesus loved, John the Beloved. It's a very special book. In fact, it's so special that when we go to foreign mission fields and maybe resources are limited and we're only able to take, instead of an entire copy of the Word of God, we can only take maybe a limited translation of such or something like that, oftentimes you'll find that the two books that are translated first are the book of Romans, and that's very important for salvation, obviously, and the book of John. It's a very special book. I remember when I was in college... I went to what they call Bible Doctrines 1, and it was kind of an overview of all Bible doctrines. And, and we covered Bibliology, Christology, Theology proper. We covered Pneumatology, Soteriology, Homardiology. We covered all sorts of ologies, and I don't know any of them today, but we covered all of that. And it was actually a pretty easy class because we didn't get too in-depth on any one particular doctrine of the Bible 
But then I got to Bible doctrines too, and I'll never forget the first day the syllabus being handed out, and it was said that I would have to write a 10-paged, single-spaced paper on one of the few selected topics. And, and uh, I, I didn't really know what to think of that. That was a lot for me. I had written maybe five-page papers, but in most cases they were double-spaced, and, and probably a lot of us are familiar with that. And basically, you could break it down to a double-spaced paper would have about 250 to 280 words on it. A uh, single-spaced would double, obviously, being about 500 words. So I was going to have to write a 5,000-word paper on one of these selected topics. And, and it was terribly intimidating. Excuse me. It was, it was uh, just, I didn't know what I was going to do. So I figured to myself, well, the only thing that I'm actually very comfortable doing is preaching. And I can preach a long time. I'll try not to do that this morning. But So what I did is I made a sermon outline. And I began to preach in a Word document. <laughs> and I literally used illustrations. I, I did everything that I would do in a sermon. And somehow, by the miracle of the Lord's grace... I completed this document, 5,000 some odd words, and I was able to turn in a paper completed on the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, even though I preached it, it was very, very difficult. A 5,000 word paper. 10-paged, single-spaced. The book of John contains over 15,000 words. In fact, if it were a college exam or a college paper... This would be a 30-paged, single-spaced document. And yet at the conclusion of the book, John does not look at all that he has written and say, Whew! Barely squeezed it in there. <laughs> He's not down there. Now, there's a trick, you know, if it's a certain page, you know, you can go and make all your commas 14 font. I don't know if y'all know that, but... It's very hard to discern all your periods, 14 font. But, but he's not saying, whoo, I just, I just, man, I barely made it. Man, he's not glancing down at the Word document count, uh, at, at the bottom of the document trying to figure out, man, how many am I at now? No, he, he writes this 21-chapter book, and then at the very last he says, and boy, could I have said more on this topic. And I sit there and I think about this verse. And man, I love the miracles of Jesus. I love the works of Jesus in the gospel. It's just an amazing book that God in the flesh came to this earth and began to do miracles like no man had ever done before. And we get to hear about them and believe them as not just fable, but as fact. We get to recognize that God still works in the lives of people today. And it's just a wonderful thing to see Jesus doing miracles in the lives of his people. And yet, I'm just the guy who, when given the opportunity, my imagination begins to go a little bit crazy. I love all the miracles that are mentioned, but John says, and there's so much more, and they even get better. So this morning, if you will, let us just kind of allow our minds to think about what some of these things might have been and how God might have been working in lives, and we don't even have record of them. This morning, I want you to see, first of all, as we get started, the untold stories. In fact, that's what John's saying. He says, 
And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that not even the world itself could contain the books that should be written. He's mentioning the untold stories. Now, if the stories that we have are so awesome, could you imagine about the ones that aren't even mentioned? And think about what was done. I mean, maybe there was a leper, a leper one day and he came to the Lord and, and he said, Lord, I need to be healed. And, and Jesus had some just biblical and truth response to him. And, and, and I would love to get to be able to see the re- interactions between Christ as, as this leper began to engage him in dialogue. And he says, I need to be healed. And Jesus says, oh, you need to be healed for more than just your leprosy. And Jesus says, oh, I'll do this leprosy thing. That's no problem. But, but there's one thing that you have to do. If you'll believe on me, you can have not just a good life here, but you can have an eternal life in heaven with me. And I, I just, my mind begins to go crazy on the miracles that could have been. Well, they were. We just don't know about them. I do know this, that if you look at the ministry of Christ... We can assume at least two things about every miracle that he performed. Number one, some of them were part of the everyday stuff. Now that doesn't seem to go hand in hand. Miracles and everyday stuff doesn't seem to jive. But really, Christ gets involved with our everyday See, the very first miracle that Jesus performed is found in the book of John chapter number 2. It's the marriage of, the, uh, of Cana of Galilee. Jesus is called to this feast. It's a celebration of a marriage. And you know the story, but, but once Christ arrives, his mother says, well, they don't have any wine and they need some wine. And so she comes to Jesus and she says, we need some wine. And, and Jesus says, well, uh, it's not really my time. I wasn't planning on doing this, so to speak. And so, uh, but this is what Mary's advice was to all the servants there at the feast. He says, whatever he says, do. And that's about the best advice I can give you this morning. Whatever Jesus says, just do. But then Jesus says, okay, I can handle this. And there are six uh, pots there and And Jesus tells them to fill all the pots with water. And then Jesus blesses it. And then he says, now take it to the governor of the feast. I had to do a little research on what the governor of the feast was. It sounds pretty important, but kind of the way we can understand it is as a master of ceremony. Somebody that's kind of behind the scenes running everything to make sure everything functions properly. Now, when we were at our 30th anniversary, we had a wonderful weekend. It was just special. Well, I called my sister Darla. She's a wedding planner. In fact, she planned uh, uh, the, the wedding of an Atlanta Braves pitcher. She planned uh, uh, the wedding of the starting quarterback of the Tennessee uh, Volunteers. So she plans these big weddings, and she has this farm. And I mean, she's just this huge event coordinator. And I called her, and I was like, Darla, I need some help. And she says, okay, I'll come down. And so I brought her down and, and she, you know, she said, do you have any rental places around? And I was like, sure, right up the road. They rent us lifts all the time. She was like, not, not really the kind of place I'm talking about. So we did some research and our way back from the airport, she found this one place called Celebration Rental. Celebration Rental. 
And, and she's like, boy, I hope this place is good. I hope this place is like the places I use. And we walk in, and it was all pretty and made up. And, you know, once we walked in the door, my sister changed a little bit. And she was friendly and kind. Well, after we got her a Starbucks, she was friendly and kind and everything. But, but boy, when that door opened, she walked in there and she started barking orders like you ain't never heard, man. I didn't even understand the language that she was talking about. She was talking about sequins and champagne-colored uh, uh, tablecloths, and she's matching. And, and, and the, even the salesmen in there, or the, the helper people there, they, they were saying, you know, this lady knows her stuff. And, and I, I, I just kind of stepped back and let them handle everything. And then we walked in the back of the warehouse and she's calling out all the stuff, you know, and she's telling them, oh, you need to rearrange this. I mean, she just somehow became boss of the place while we were there. And, and she helped plan this event, really, and by saying help, that's kind of silly, she planned the event. And then it came time, and man, if you remember on that 30th anniversary, it was just so beautiful. The colors were great, and uh, it was just a wonderful event. And really, I had nothing to do with that. Darla helped with it all, and, and she was kind of the, the master of ceremonies, if you will. And I'll never forget on that day, it took more than one Starbucks to help Darla, okay? I know Darla is a sweet lady, but I'm telling you, when it was time to perform, you did not want to bring Darla bad news. And, and, and if you weren't doing the job that she had assigned you, I'm just telling you, it wasn't going to be a good day for you. And I, I kind of think of Darla in this role here, the governor of the feast. It's unique, though, that Jesus never says you can taste the wine before the governor does. Now, if I'd been one of those servants, I don't want to be the middleman that brings to the governor some watered-down wine. And yet, it's just worth noting that Jesus says, now you take it to the governor of the feast. Nobody tried it before they handed this wine to the governor of the feast. Just a few seconds ago, it was water. And now we're supposed to hand this to the one who, who can, you know, has authority, the one that we're going to get in trouble for. We maybe even lose our job if we don't hand the right kind of stuff to him. And yet, it's a wonderful story because at the end of it, the governor says, most people put forth the good wine at the start. Once men have well drunken, then they bring forth the bad wine. But you, you've brought out the best wine at the end. You see, Jesus did a miracle. But let me ask you this. What would have happened had he never performed that miracle? Well, I would assume they'd have still been married. I would assume that really the consequences of him performing that miracle or not performing that miracle were not really, quote unquote, life or death. Why did he perform it? Because Jesus still works on the practical day-to-day -day of our lives. You say, oh, Brother Andrew, that's silly. No, I, I just know I have a God that says, uh, you can pray for anything, but you must come with, with thanksgiving. It says, giving thanks for all things that we can come to Christ and we can ask for our prayers. He says, be careful for nothing, but in everything give thanks by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. It says, by everything, you can bring everything. In fact, Jesus says, casting all your cares upon me, for he careth for your soul. 
what is it in your life that you're struggling with? You say, ah, it's not even that important to take it to God. My friend, you're not going to annoy God with the cares of your soul. He ma- it matters to Him what goes on in your everyday life. Yesterday, it was uh, kind of unique. My wife came home from getting groceries. You know, it's just amazing that we can order our groceries online, pick them up, never have to get out of our car, bring them straight home, have a husband who's so good that just unloads them for you. Literally, she does nothing in the process of grocery shopping anymore because she really just hits duplicate cart from the previous time. But uh, nonetheless, she went out grocery shopping. She comes home and and we kind of have a deal worked out where I unload the car. She helps a little bit. Um, the girls help. We make the girls help. And, and they, we bring in the groceries. But Amy knows where it all goes. Man, if I do it, it's just going to be a train wreck. The apple juice is going to be next to the plates. I mean, so Amy puts the groceries up. Well, yesterday, as Amy was putting up the groceries, I guess the girls had missed her in the hour and a half that she was gone. And so they're in there just, Mom, barely hit me. Mom, Caitlin's annoying. Blah, 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 blah. Mom, I got to tell you this. Look at my bow. Mom, I got to tell you this. I tinkled in my pants, you know. that. So all of this is going on. And Amy finally just has enough. Moms, have you ever been there? Where you just kind of like, okay, go away. And uh, I think Amy had arrived at that point. And so she says something like, girls, leave me alone. Well, I'm doing what every husband does. I'm sitting on the couch watching TV, (laughs) drinking a glass of sweet tea. That's my center. That's how I find my center, okay? And uh, this is what I hear. And I see Bailey running around the corner with tears streaming down her face. And she says, Daddy. And I said, what? But you know, I'm always, you got to wonder, are they concussed? Because that's the first, have they hit their head on something? We have a scorpion problem in our house. So Bailey got stung the other day. So if you hear one of them crying, you have to wonder, you know, maybe a scorpion got them. Or you just worry about these things. And so you have to check them at first. And so I said, what's wrong? And this was Bailey's response. (laughs) Mommy not talking to me. (laughs) So I, I pick up Bailey. I comfort her. And I said, you think she'll talk to daddy? She said, "Uh uh-huh. And so our house from the couch, Amy can see my laziness occurring. Okay. So. We're, we're not very far from each other. It's a direct line of sight. And I pick up my phone and I FaceTime Amy. <laughs> and you should have seen her. You know, she's right in the middle of putting up the mac and cheese and the hot dogs and all this stuff. You know, what every household with infants and children has, you know. And, uh, and I, I hit the FaceTime and you hear... And Amy goes, where's my phone? Where's my, I hear it, I hear it, I hear it. Where's my phone? Where's my phone? Finally, she finds my phone 
And I'm sure her soul was very blessed when she found out it was me calling. (laughs) I interrupted her grocery put up, you know. And uh, she slides it open. But when she opens, you know, the, the FaceTime, she does not see me. She sees Bailey. And I said, Mama, Bailey has a question for you. And she goes, Mommy, why are you not talking to me? <laughs> I mean, if you, if you, I mean, I know the Kardashians have a show, but we might be right, right next to them. I mean, we need a show, okay? Let me just tell you this. There is never a time in the Christian's life when your heavenly father will not talk to you. And I don't know what Bailey's big concern was. Maybe it was she wanted a cup of milk. I really don't know. But regardless of the reason for Bailey's needing mommy, it does not matter what your need is, God will always hear you. You say, but Brother Andrew, I just need my car to crank in the morning. That's okay. God's right in the middle of the everyday of your life. We can assume at least one thing about it is that Jesus gets involved in every day. We can assume a second thing. It's that Jesus gets involved in the earth shaking. See, the first miracle that Jesus performs is very, very commonplace. But the second one, it's a father. He's a man of authority. And he comes to Jesus. It's in John chapter 4. The Bible tells us it's the second miracle that Jesus performed. And this man comes to Jesus and he says... My son is sick. And he says this, even to the point of death. Amen. You know, the, the results of Jesus not turning the water into wine, probably not a big deal. The results of Jesus not healing this man's son, it's a much bigger deal. Because if Jesus does not act in this situation, this man's son dies. And Jesus, just like Jesus does heals the man, heals the man's son. Jesus goes out of his way. It's just a wonderful story in scripture. But I'm here today to tell you that not only does Jesus get involved in the everyday, he gets involved in the earth shaking. He really, really cares about the stuff that you really, really care about. I'll never forget. I'll never forget. One day, it was I think our eight day checkup with Bailey after she had been born eight days later we went into the doctor and we go in there and they say we want you to know that something came back on her blood test and uh, it's a real cause for concern in fact if she has what her blood test is showing you'll have to wake her up every two hours to feed her it has to be done this way or else she may pass away in her sleep you won't even know it and uh, it was a very scary time for us and And I'm telling you right now, there's some prayers I've prayed, you know, for like the bass boat that's blue that has sparkles. Those things don't really matter. But when a father hears that his daughter might be very sick with a birth defect, that stuff matters. And I know every Christian in this room this morning has prayed a prayer that really, really mattered. 
I mean, I'm not talking about the everyday stuff. I'm talking about the earth-moving stuff. I'm talking about the stuff that you can't find an answer anywhere else, where the doctors don't have the answer, and psychiatrists don't have the answer, and and medicine doesn't have the answer. And you have to go to God and you say, God, I don't know what I'm going to do here. I'm just going to have to trust in you. Not only does Jesus get involved in the everyday mundane stuff, he gets involved in the big stuff. And, And let me just tell you, the Bible tells us that his hand is never shortened that it cannot save, nor is his ear ever heavy that it cannot hear. Aren't you glad that no matter what we don't know about these miracles, we know this, that Jesus cares about the situation no matter what the situation is. I love this about the Bible. We may not know every situation, but we know that whatever the situation, Christ cared about it. The untold stories of Scripture. I want you to see this, though, secondly. The unknown solutions. What were they? I mean, we've got to be honest. Not all the time did Jesus just kind of, you know, snap his fingers or say the words and the problem was taken care of. A lot of times it took faith and an outward display of faith on these people's part to receive the blessing from Christ. I mean, I just wonder what the solutions were. We'd all have to agree this. Number one, his methods are not always what we expect them to be. In the Bible, in John chapter number 9, there's a man who's been blind from his birth. In fact, they're coming by and the Bible says Jesus sees the man and his disciples ask Jesus this question. Who did sin? This man or his parents? You see, there was this idea that If someone had something wrong with him, it was a result of someone's sin. So their question was justified, at least in their mind, that that this man's condition was a result of his parents' failure or his own failure. And Jesus says this, well, it's neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be manifest, made manifest in him. In other words, no, this blindness that you see, this is not his parents' fault. This is not his fault. The reason he has this blindness is because I'm going to do a miracle in his life. I love that. You see, Christ's methods aren't always what we want them to be. In fact, for this man, Christ spits in in the dirt of the ground. He rubs it together. And the Bible says he makes some type of clay, basically, as the dirt and the saliva mix together. And he rubs it on this man's eyes. And he tells this man, now go wash your eyes in the pool of Siloam. If I would have been the man, I'd probably just have been like, you're Jesus, right? Can't we just like avoid all of that? I mean, the question here is not a question of your power. But the man never questions him at all. In fact, he goes to the pool of Siloam. He watches his eyes. He receives his sight. He returns. And everybody's asking this question. Now, I'll just give the man the name Jethro. The name Jethro. I don't know what his name was. The Bible doesn't tell us. But maybe his name was Jethro. I think that's a pretty biblical name-ish. But uh, uh, let's just call him Jethro. And everybody, as he returns, they ask this question. Hey, is that Jethro? And some people are like, man, that's Jethro. And then other people are like, man, there ain't no way that's Jethro. And Jethro steps up and says, no, I'm Jethro. They say, man, what happened to you? He says, well, Jesus showed up, put some 
Cleomites told me to go wash in the pool of Siloam, so I did it, and man, I can see now. It's a good day to be Jethro. And we can understand that in that story, I'm not sure what significance the clay has. I'm not sure if there's any healing power in the pool of Siloam. I'll say this, if the pool of Siloam had any healing power, it was given by God on high through Jesus. It doesn't really matter, but we can understand this. We can all agree on this. Sometimes his methods are unique. And, you know, we might sit down and, you know, figure out plans and ways that we might fix our own problems, but his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so we can all agree that sometimes we might find our way out of situations by our own power, but Christ's methods are unique. And I believe this about all of his methods. The reason you're going through what you're going through in many cases is because he wants to show his power in your life, just like he did for this man. We can all agree his methods aren't always what we expect. And we can absolutely agree on this. His timing isn't what we always want it to be. You know, it's kind of unique that John is the only book that covers one particular miracle. It's actually one of the more amazing miracles that Jesus performed, but it's the death and the resurrection of Lazarus. John is the only book that covers it. You know the story quite well, but basically Mary and Martha who were already friends of Jesus, who I believe were already believers in Christ. And they send a message to Jesus that says, Lazarus, whom thou lovest, he is sick. And so Jesus says, all right, that's fine, but this sickness is not unto death. And so he hangs out in the place that he was two days, and then he starts making his way there. And uh, by the time Jesus arrives on the scene, y'all know how late he was. He was four days late. Lazarus had been dead four days already. Mary and Martha, both, when they come to Jesus, say the same thing, the exact same thing. Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. See, neither one of them doubted the power of Jesus. Here's what they were questioning, the timing of Jesus. Lord, if you'd have just been here, Lord, if you'd have just been here, he would not have died. And I can look across this auditorium in the face of a bunch of believers this morning. We know that there is not one thing in this world that Christ cannot do for us. So in many cases, it's not a question of whether we believe God can do it. Here's what we question. Whether or not God will do it and what time he'll do it. His timing is not always our timing, but he says something quite similar to the story we just talked about. Jesus says, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of Man may be glorified thereby. Christian, if you have to wait in a holding pattern, I assure you, there's a reason for it. If you're maybe not understanding why God's not working in your life and not moving mountains that you need moved, I promise you this, if you're waiting at the base of the mountain looking up at something that seems impassable and insurmountable, God is looking at you and saying, this isn't by accident, but this is in your life so that the Son of Man might be glorified thereby. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. May we just be patient and wait on the Lord 
His methods aren't always our method, uh, what we expect. His timing isn't what we expect. But the Bible says this in Proverbs chapter 3, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Never question whether God is trustworthy or not. He is worthy of our trust. So we see the untold stories in Scripture. We see the unknown solutions in Scripture. And I want you to see this. While there is a lot of unknowns about all of the stories, there is this, and we close with this final point, the universal certainty of all of the miracles. It's very special, the book of John I mentioned earlier, I mentioned how the the three other Gospels are synoptic. They all take similar viewpoints on certain things. I'll just give you an example. Matthew contains 22 of the 37 unique miracles of Christ. Mark contains 20. Luke contains 21. Now, many of these are shared in the Gospel stories. John only covers eight. Did you know that there's not a single parable in the book of John? But they're all contained within Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John stands unique. And so if we kind of allow our minds to wonder, well, John, what were the stories that you didn't talk about? Certainly it was some of the other stories that were found in the scriptures, the 29 other unique miracles of Christ. But, but we look at it and we say, John, if there were so many stories that you left out, here's the question... Why did you mention the ones that you mentioned? He only chose eight. And he says, if I were to contain, if I were to record every miracle that Jesus ever performed, the world itself would not be able to hold the volumes of books that would be written. So why did he choose the eight? Are you with me? Does it not seem odd that these eight were the ones that he chose? I want you to look just one chapter earlier in the book of John. John chapter 20, verse number 30. Now, our scripture speaks of the unknown miracles of Jesus. And it sounds quite similar to this verse. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Does that kind of sound unique? This kind of sounds similar to our passage in verse 25. But he says this in verse 31. But these are written. Well, what are written? Oh, well, I'm I'm talking about the, the signs, the miracles, the works of Jesus. John, why did you choose the eight? These are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through His name. You want to know why He chose these eight? Because these eight to Him spoke of the one great miracle that Christ actually performed in life. It's almost like John was unimpressed by the other miracles. I mean, we read it and we hear of a leper, you know, healed or blind man receiving a sight or the dumb speaking. And and we think of these miracles and we're like, man, I would love to see that. I would love to go down to Cook's Children's with Jesus and just watch him walk down the aisles and and heal those little children in there. That would be awesome. And, And we would all be like really, really impressed with that. 
But John, it's almost like he wasn't so impressed with the miracles. John's entire purpose for the book that he wrote was to tell us about the one great miracle that happens in the life of everyone. Or that can happen in the life of everyone. Say, what's that great miracle? Well, the great miracle is that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. That he's the Son of God and that believing ye might have life through his name. The greatest miracle in John's opinion was the fact that a sinner could ever be saved. The greatest miracle was not that a blind man could receive sight or that a leper could be healed or that someone with a disease or a fever could be made whole. John says the greatest miracle that Christ ever performed was the one that he performed inside my heart when he saved my soul. You see, the Bible says this in John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This morning, every one of us is a whosoever. I'm not blind, I'm not crippled, I'm not lame, I'm a little bit dumb, but none of those matter. The fact of the matter is, Christ did a miracle in my life. He never healed me from some terrible disease, but he healed me from the awful curse of sin. And every person in this room this morning needs to be healed from the curse of sin. The Bible not only says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, it says in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You see, we all have a problem in our life And the remedy for that problem is Jesus. You cannot find it through Buddha. You cannot find it through Muhammad. You certainly cannot find it through a church full of imperfect people. The only way that you can get to heaven is through Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior of the world. And the Bible goes on to say in John chapter 1 verse 12, But as many as received him. Listen to me. But as many as received him, it doesn't matter what your past is, it doesn't matter where you've come from, it doesn't matter what your background or how many skeletons you've got hit out back. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to be called the sons of God. This morning, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're not a son of God, you're a son of this world. You're on your way to a Christless eternity in hell. You see, the Bible tells us of a heaven and a hell. And in John's estimation, the greatest thing that Jesus ever did was not healing someone or or helping someone. The greatest thing that Jesus ever did for anybody, in John's opinion, was that they could be called the Son of God. The Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 36, do not miss this. He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life. And he that believeth not, the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. I've seen some pretty awesome things in my life. I've been to the Grand Canyon and I've seen some wonderful things. One time we were driving through New Mexico and there was a homeless man on the side of the road and uh, me and my dad were there watching him and uh, you've seen homeless people with signs and they say, you know, we'll work for food or I'm just hungry, can you give me some money? Some of them get real clever and it's like, I'm not going to lie, I'm using this for beer. And you see these signs, but I'll never forget seeing this one guy on the side of the road and he was juggling and he was an amazing, amazing juggler. 
Now, it's not generally our practice to give homeless folks money because honestly, I would, but you don't know what they're using it on. I wish that you knew, but you just oftentimes don't. And this man was sitting there juggling. He was incredible at it. I'll never forget, my dad looked at me and was like, if that guy's that talented, he deserves something. So we gave him some money. I mean, I've seen some amazing things. I've been able to see some amazing things in nature. I one time was sitting in Colorado. I was overlooking this valley, and I watched as a mountain lion crossed the canyon below me. It was amazing and terrifying at the same time. I've seen some amazing things, but I'm telling you this, like John, there is nothing in my life that I've ever seen more precious or more special or more wonderful or more divine than when a sinner bows his head knowing full well he's on his way to hell. And then he raises his head after praying just a very simple prayer of faith in Christ. I'm saying he bowed his head a sinner and raised his head a saint. There's nothing more wonderful than that. This morning, I don't know what your past is. I don't know where you come from. But I know this. If you do not have the Son, you do not have life. If you do not have the Son, you don't even know how to live in this life, much less how to get to the afterlife. But this morning, if you want to trust Him, the Bible says you can be called the Son of God. I don't know about all the miracles that aren't mentioned, but I know of the one that He did in my life. And it was wonderful to me.